Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like him. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Terry. I, uh, I'm feeling a little... Uh... Uh, lack of focus this morning. I see I can't even say lack of focus. I'm feeling a little off. Um, thank you, phlegm brain. And so I'm going to take a moment. We're just going to pray and just take a moment of quiet and, uh, and then we'll jump in to the text here. So let's, would you pray with me? Pray for me if that's okay. Um, God, this morning we, uh, we're grateful once again to be in your presence and to be with your people. God, as we open the scripture, as, as I open the scripture and prepare to share what you've shared with me, I pray that you'd give me clear focus, that the truth of Jesus would be abundantly clear, that the gospel, the good news of what you have done for us through the cross and resurrection and your ongoing reign, Jesus, would be abundantly clear. And that this morning, you would give us a heart that longs for a God like Peter's God, a Jesus like Peter's Jesus, one who restores us from the depths of our sins, brings us to new life and says to us, follow me. And so this morning, Lord, would you clear the fog of my head, clear the fog of the hearts and minds of those who are listening, and Jesus, grow within us a deeper love and appreciation for who you are, for what you've done, and a deeper dedication to following you with all of our days. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So have you ever uh, had an awkward encounter with someone who's, who you know you hurt or offended? Or, or like you know there's going to be, you're going to be in the presence of someone that you offended at some point and you haven't addressed it before. And just you, you know that feeling inside of you as you're getting closer to that moment. You know you're going to see this person. You know there's like beef between you. There's some kind of something between you. And you just, you feel in knots heading up to it. Right? I don't think any of us have ever felt that more than Peter felt that. And those of you who know Peter's story, already see where I'm going with this, but uh, I feel like right now we need one of those like uh, drama show recaps from the last episode before we jump into this. Um, you know, the one other, like, you show the scenes of Peter throughout his life before you get to this episode so you know where we're going. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Peter's life real quick before we get to this moment, because this is, this is the last time Peter shows up in the Gospel of John, and it's kind of a big deal. You see, Peter shows up very early in the Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 42. 42 verses into the Gospel of John, Peter has already showed up. And right off the bat, like first thing, Jesus says to Simon, the son of Jonah, 
hey, Simon, you're going to be called Cephas, which in Greek is Petros, which we translate Peter. So you'll read, it says, you'll be called Peter, and then your Bible will say, which is translated Peter. Or you'll be called Cephas, which your Bible will translate as Peter. And so Jesus names him right off the bat, first thing when they meet one another. And this is a great sign. When God has favor on someone throughout the Old Testament, he renames them. He gives them a name that's truer to who he's calling them to be, truer to their nature than the name they were given at birth. Oftentimes, God's renaming of someone is to set them on a path that they couldn't possibly have been on before. It's to set them on a path toward toward goodness and redemption that they didn't have before. And so when Jesus comes along and renames Peter right away, this is a great thing for Peter. This is a really cool thing. Hey, my rabbi's given me a new name. I'm a rock, baby. Like, that's awesome, right? And so Peter, from the very first days, is kind of a leader among the disciples and the apostles of Jesus. He's a leader among the followers of Jesus. We know Peter was married, and so that puts him already on a step ahead of most of Jesus' disciples who were unmarried. Jesus, uh, Mary, uh, good gosh, see, phlegm brain, Peter probably had kids too, at least one. There's one point where Pete, Jesus is teaching and he's in Capernaum where we know Peter lives with his wife and mother-in-law. And there's a point where these kids are coming to Jesus and his disciples say, hey, get the kids away from him. And Jesus is like, no, let the children come to me. Well, this happens at Peter's house. These kids are probably Peter's or kids from the neighborhood that the family knew. So Peter's already ahead of some of the disciples. It's one of the reasons he gets this kind of leadership role among the disciples, is that he's married, he's probably a little further along in life than they are, probably in his early 20s, which is like old for the disciples. Most of them were in their late teens or very early 20s. They're young guys who are following this rabbi Jesus. And so Peter begins following Jesus along with all the disciples. He's got this privileged position. And then there comes this point where Jesus looks to his disciples and says, hey, who do people say that I am? And his disciples speak up, and they're like, some say John the Baptist, which, like, John the Baptist had just died, right? And, but some people are saying, like, you're the reincarnation of John the Baptist already. Some people are saying, you're Elijah, come back again. And Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter steps up and says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's the first person in the Gospels to, to testify to Jesus' true identity. So this guy is riding high, man. Peter, he's a leader. He's like the first to say Jesus is Messiah. He's, uh, he is, he's, he's, he's taken this position among the disciples. He's doing really well. And then there comes this point where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I got to go away. I'm going to die. Like, he's pretty clear with them in John 14 to 17. Like, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you a comforter. And Jesus, Peter pipes up and is like, we will follow you even to death. And who knows what, who knows what Jesus says to Peter? Peter looks at Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and levels with him and says, bro, you're going to deny me three times before the sun is even up. Like, yeah, you, you got all the good words, buddy. But before the sun even rises, before the, before the rooster even crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then we see that exact thing play out. Jesus is arrested, and he's taken to court, to this kind of kangaroo court that happens in the middle of the night when it's not supposed to happen. It's an illegal trial that Jesus is taken to. 
And Peter is there with a disciple who happened to be an acquaintance of one of the, like, one of the, uh, the, the judge's people. He, he happened to know some of the people who were involved in this trial. And so this other disciple gets himself and Peter into the trial. And they're out in this courtyard, and there's a fire. And the girl who's manning the door, or womaning the door, I guess, the girl who is working the door to the courtyard to let them in says, says to Peter, hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And Peter's like, no, that's not me. You didn't see me. And then he's around the fire, and somebody else, in fact, the cousin of the guy who's Peter, whose ear Peter cut off, says, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And Peter's like, no, it's not me. And then as he's around the fire and Jesus is being tried inside, someone else says to Peter, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? And Peter gets angry and he curses. He's like, damn it, no, I'm not. Sorry, somebody just got offended by saying that. Sorry, the Bible's very real, so I'm going to be very real. Peter curses. And he's like, no, I'm not a follower of that guy. That's not, I'm not with him. And that moment, the rooster crows. And we hear that Peter's heart is downfallen. Peter is brokenhearted. And that's the last we see of Peter before the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus goes on to be flogged. He goes on to carry his cross up the Golgotha hill and to be crucified up on that hill. And we read that John is there with Mary, Jesus' mom, and Mary Magdalene, and the women who followed Jesus, who were so much braver than the men in this moment. We read that John is there, but there's no sign of Peter. Peter is ashamed. We don't see him again. And Jesus is crucified. And he's put into the tomb. And then early Sunday morning, at the break of dawn, as soon as it's legal for them to do it, the women followers of Jesus, his mom and Mary Magdalene and a few other, Mary the wife of Clopas and a number of other people go to prepare Jesus' body because they didn't get a chance to when he was crucified. And they go to the tomb where Jesus had been laid and they find that it's empty. There's nobody there. Only they meet a couple of angels who tell them, he's not here. He's risen. And they run back to the men. They run back to the male disciples who are gathered together in fear. And they say, Jesus isn't there. He's risen. And the men don't really believe them because they're women. Here's a lesson for you, men. <laughs> believe your ladies. And so they go back to the tomb. But who are the two that John says go back to the tomb? Who are the ones who run to the tomb? The men who run to the tomb are John and Peter. Peter, in all of his shame, in all of his brokenness, can't wait to see Jesus. And you can imagine what's on his heart right then, right? Like, I got apologies to make. Jesus knew I was going to do that. And that had to be as heartbreaking as anything. That Jesus walked with Peter, loved him, cared for him, put him into leadership, all the while knowing what Peter would do. And you can imagine the heart of Peter as he's running to this tomb, longing to see Jesus, longing for the forgiveness and absolution that only Jesus can give. Only Jesus chooses not to appear to John and Peter. 
You ever think about this? Read, read through the Gospel of John toward the end. The women come. They're told to go back. They go back and they tell the men. They come back to the tomb. Peter and John are there. They see the empty tomb, but they don't hear anything about Jesus. They don't see Jesus. They don't see the angels. They go back and the women get another revelation. They get the angels and they get Jesus there. He appears to Mary Magdalene and to his mom. But not the men. Not James, not John and Peter. They don't get this vision of Jesus. They don't get Jesus appearing to them at the tomb. Only the women do. So the men go back. And the women follow them. And they're trying to convince everybody. We've seen the Lord We've seen Jesus. The first evangelists, the first preachers are women. Glory. They go back to the room where the men are hanging out. And they try and convince them. And we read that a little while later, they're, they're still in this room. And they've got the door locked because they're afraid of the Jewish leadership. They're afraid they're going to be hunted down as followers of Jesus. And we read that Jesus comes and appears to them. And they talk with him. And you can imagine, I mean, this room is full of people. There are a minimum 11 men, but there are probably many more people there, right? Followers of Jesus, disciples all. And they're all gathered. And we don't read a thing about Peter when Jesus comes into the room. We don't read a thing about Peter when Jesus first appears to all the disciples. You can imagine him kind of hanging in the back, feeling that awkwardness. Feeling like, oh, oh there, mm, there's Jesus. I can't really have a conversation with him right now because everybody's here. I don't want to lay out my shame before everybody. And so we don't read a thing about Peter. Jesus has a conversation with his disciples, and then he disappears. And a week later, they're still in the same room, door locked. Only this time, the apostle Thomas is with them. He hadn't been there the first time. And so this time, Thomas is there. And all of the disciples are trying to convince Thomas Jesus rose from the dead. And what does Thomas do? Thomas is like, unless I can put my hand in his side and my fingers in the nail holes, I won't believe it. And then, boom, Jesus appears right through the door. And Jesus is like, yo, Thomas, here I am. Feel the nail scars. Here's the hole in my side, Thomas. And Thomas makes the most bold declaration of any disciple. We, Thomas gets a bad rap as doubting Thomas, but he's the only one in the Gospels who says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And so those are the first two appearances of Jesus to his disciples. Not nary a word about Peter in all of this. We're still waiting for Peter's redemption. We're still waiting for something to happen with this guy. And then we read about the third appearance. So all these disciples are together. There are seven of them now who are out on the Sea of Galilee. They're kind of by the lake. And Simon does what a fisherman does. He says, I'm going fishing. It's nighttime. They're just waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for the next step, for the next instructions. They're trying to figure out what's the, what's the next thing that's going to happen. And so Peter's like, I'm not just going to hang out here. I'm going to go fishing. And Peter goes and gets in the boat. And the other guys go with him because they're kind of all fishermen. And they go out on the lake, and as they're out on the lake, you see a guy on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. And they have a short conversation with him. Jesus says, friends, you don't have any fish, do you? They've been fishing all night. They got no fish, right? Insult to injury here. No, they answered. And so Jesus says, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. 
So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. John looks over at Peter. He's like, that's, that's him. Remember that time he did it before when he told us to cast our net over there? It's Jesus. And we read, Peter doesn't miss a beat. He's already kind of stripped down. He's been working all night. It's hot. He's already taken off his outer cloak. And so he just jumps in the water. He's like 100 yards from, from shore. So he's got to swim a little ways. And then he's running. Peter just can't wait to get to Jesus. And so he books it. Meanwhile, all the other guys are like, okay, let's get back in. They're rowing the boat in. And they all get back to shore. And they've got all these fish. And the net hasn't broken. And they haul it all in. And then Jesus cooks breakfast with them. It's just the most natural scene in the world. Jesus is like, hey, yo, bring some of those fish, all right? Let's cook it. Let's have some breakfast, guys. And so they sit there on the shore, and they eat breakfast together. And I'm sure they're talking, and they're remembering some of the things that Jesus had told them, and they're telling stories from all the time that they spent together, and they're just cutting it up and enjoying themselves and having a good time. And you can still imagine Simon Peter sitting there, Waiting for the moment the shoe's going to drop. Waiting for the moment Jesus is finally going to address his secret shame. What he did. They're all chatting, enjoying their breakfast. And finally, Jesus looks over at Simon. And he levels him with a gaze. And Simon's heart is in knots because he knows this is it. And it's not like they're alone. It's not like Jesus was like, yo, Simon, come over here. I got something to talk to you about. And he's right there with these other six. And Jesus says to Simon, do you love me? How heartbreaking. The last thing you said about this guy was, I don't know him. The last thing you said about this guy was, I'm not with him. And then watched him die. And Jesus just looks over and says, do you love me? Simon says, you know I love you. And Jesus asks him again, Simon, do you love me? You know that I love you. One last time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Simon Responding, says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And this time we read that his heart was grieved because he was asked a third time. Jesus had to confirm. He had to verify. Simon, do you love me? I mean, put yourself in Simon's shoes right there. Put yourself in his place and hear the words of Jesus. When the last thing that you did was to deny him and watch him be crucified. And Jesus simply asks, do you love me? See, the, it didn't matter why Simon denied Jesus. It didn't matter that he was afraid and that was his fear speaking. The circumstances of his sin didn't matter. It was sin all the same. It was wrong. After at least three years of living with this guy, of sleeping in the cot next to him, of walking the road with him, of eating at the fire with him, 
of spending all of his time with him, longing to be like Jesus, right at the very end, Simon said, no, he's not mine. I'm not with him. And Jesus doesn't let Simon off the hook here. He doesn't pat him on the back and say, it's okay, buddy. This is not a glossing over. Jesus has died for the very sin that Simon committed. Jesus has died to cover the very sin and shame of Simon's heart. And in this moment when Jesus locks eyes with Simon and says to him, do you love me? At the back of that question is, it didn't seem like it then. At least to Simon's mind, to Simon's heart. At the back of the question, do you love me? Was a little bit of doubt. It didn't seem like it when you denied me. Jesus doesn't let Simon off the hook. But he also comes with such grace, such compassion to be there at all. And then to not point the finger of judgment and of blame, but simply to ask Simon, do you love me? What is the cry of your heart, Simon? What do you long for most, Simon? You don't want to be that man, do you? Simon, do you love me? And Simon speaks the truth when he says, Lord, yes, you know that I do. And so Jesus restores Simon. Three times he asks, because three times Peter had denied him. Three times Jesus asked, because to confirm something is true, you have to confirm it three times. Three times Jesus asks, and three times Simon responds, yes, I love you. And three times Jesus gives Simon a commission. Do you love me? Then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Then shepherd my sheep. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Peter, I want you to know that this sin will not determine the rest of your life. I want you to know that the worst thing you ever did will not define you. Peter, I want you to know that this is not just me patting on the back. You don't have to start from scratch. You don't have to start over with me. Peter, I'm putting you right back where you were before. Lead my disciples. Lead my people. Speak my gospel. Peter, go and make up for it. Peter, go and care for my people. Speak my truth. And then at the end, Jesus says the words that Simon had been longing most to hear, I am sure. The very words he said to him at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus says to Simon Peter, follow me. Be a disciple again. Lead my people again. Step back into my grace, which you never really left, Simon. Jesus knew the deepest shame of Simon's heart and went through death to pay for it and call Simon back to himself. This isn't a story just about Simon Peter. This is every single one of us. 
You see, we all want the Jesus that John knows. Throughout the Gospel of John, the apostle has been talking of himself as the one that Jesus loved, the disciple Jesus loved, the beloved of Jesus. We all want to be John. We all want to know the Jesus that John knows, the Jesus who comes alongside of us and puts his arm around us and calls us when we're just a kid to follow him and to be a leader among his people. We all want the Jesus that John knows, and we all get that Jesus. But we all desperately need the Jesus that Peter knows. We so desperately need the Jesus who sees all of our secret shame. We need the Jesus who sees deep down. We need the Jesus who can predict our sin before we've committed it and says, I love you still. I want you still. I long for you still. You are still mine. You have not stepped out of my grace. You have not stepped out of my love. We need the Jesus who sees deep into our hearts and says, that's what I died for. And now follow me. I will cover your sin. I will cover your shame. I will renew and restore you. And I will call you to me. I want to know the Jesus that Peter knows. The one who has had all of his sin covered, who has had all of his shame washed away, and who has his king, his lord, his rabbi, his brother, his master, his friend, walk through death and come out the other side to bring me to restoration, to bring me salvation, to bring me life. Friend, regardless of who you've been or where you've been, and regardless of what your posture toward God has been, and regardless of what your life has looked like, Jesus walked through death for you, and he took up his life again for you, so that you could know the Jesus that Peter knows, so that you could know the God who looks at you in your shame and says, rise, my child, rise, my disciple, be mine again. Jesus walked through death and took up life for you. And if we search the depths of our hearts, we know that this is the love that we most long for. If we search the depths of our beings, we know that this love that sees all the way down, sees all the things that I've hidden from everybody else, sees all the stuff that I want to hide from the world, all the stuff that I'm ashamed of, sees it all and says, I love you and I want you. I would walk through death for you. And this is the God that we see on this Easter Sunday. This is the God that we celebrate. This is the God that we know. And this is the God who calls us to himself out of our sin and shame and into the bright light of his resurrection life. God, this morning we celebrate your resurrection. We celebrate your conquering of death. We celebrate the cross and the empty tomb and the ascension of our King Jesus. And we celebrate, Jesus, that you are one who has come to bring salvation and redemption and freedom from the sin and shame that shackle us. We celebrate that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord Jesus. 
And that when you look upon we who have denied you, and when you look upon we who have run away from you, and when we look upon we who have turned our eyes away, you bid us come as children, as friends, as brothers and sisters. It is your name that we lift up today, Jesus. It is by your stripes that we are healed, by your resurrection that we are given new life, and by your ongoing reign that we live in the hope of our full redemption. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org. 